you know, I've heard from some of the the quants at uh, Desco, and they say that Florida is, will not be profitable uh, until we get to another uh, 30 to 50% rate hike from where we are today. And when you combine that with the fact that there's also no more insurance companies available to write policies, what happens? You see you see rates go through the roof that people can't afford anymore. So I have a mortgage, but you know, when I layer in all the other fees associated with owning this house, not worth it anymore. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And in this special edition of Housing News, we're focusing in on the state of insurance in Florida. Florida's property insurance market was already under stress and Hurricane Ian is just making that more challenging. Today, we have Ryan Letzizer, the CEO and co-founder of Obi, to talk about all the challenges that the state of Florida has when it relates to property insurance and flood insurance and the impact of hurricanes like Ian. Ian is projected to be one of the costliest storms in our country's history, and that doesn't even account for the long-term impact on the insurability of real estate in Florida. I hope you enjoy this special edition with Ryan Letzizer of Obi. And folks, before we jump into this episode, I want to call some attention to a link in the show notes of this episode. Our team at HW designed a giving campaign and a really cool t-shirt to help support relief in Florida. Check out the link in our show notes. All of the proceeds from this this t-shirt sale are being donated to the Florida Realtors Relief Fund. We want to do our part in bringing together the housing industry to help provide some relief to those impacted in the state of Florida. Check it out. All right. So we're kind of wading into what I'm kind of considering an an emergency episode of of housing news, talking about a really timely topic in in the housing market and the broader national news ecosystem. Hurricane Ian. Ryan, thanks a lot for for joining us to talk about the impact of Ian on the Florida property insurance market. Yeah, thanks, Clayton. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, hopefully I can provide some insight into, you know, what happened and what's been happening and what the future might hold. Yeah. So folks, so like I mentioned in the introduction to the show, uh, Ryan Letzizer is the co-founder and CEO of Obi, an insurance focused uh, fintech prop tech company, and has a lot of insight into some of the ways that Florida insurance market is being impacted um, by natural disasters like EM, but also other stressors on the market. And we're going to dive into some of the economic impacts of the of the storm and talk about insurance in Florida, which is a a top of mind subject for anybody that invests, lives, or has exposure to the Florida market in some way. And um, a lot of us do in a bigger way than we thought. Ian is expected to be one of the most costliest storms of all time, with Bloomberg estimating seventy billion to one hundred and twenty billion in economic damage, just which is just wild. So, Ryan, I want to kick this off um, with just kind of a broad conversation about the Florida insurance market, and we've we've heard a lot uh, in the news and at Housing Wire that the market was already under stress. Can you tell us about some of the stressors that have been impacting Florida real estate from an insurance perspective? Yeah. Um, so 
for for going on uh, uh, several years now, Florida as a whole, at least in the insurance category and property, uh, has been basically underperforming at a level uh, that is, uh, as some in the reinsurance world would say, irresponsible. A lot of that has to do with you know increasing pressure from climate change, uh, the frequency and severity of storms. Uh, some of the political challenges that are associated with the Florida insurance market. Um, and then, you know, all of those kind of mixing together now with a pretty gnarly storm uh, is going to make for a really challenging probably next 24 to 36 months. Uh, and, and we'll, I, I, I would dare not even uh, estimate what could be beyond the next two to three years. Um, you know, F Florida as a whole has a host of challenges, but uh, happy to dive into them uh, and, and give folks here an explanation on on how the Florida insurance market works. Um, at OB, we actually had to put a physical office down in Florida uh, to get a better understanding of uh, coastal category as a whole, uh, how the insurance works, the drivers behind it. Um, in order for us to facilitate, uh, you know, the ability to write uh, insurance in that state. So I think it can be uh, pretty helpful here. Yeah, for the folks that listen to this show, you've probably heard me share before that I'm I'm from Florida. And uh, the folks who catch the, the video of this episode can might notice that the map behind me, which is purely coincidence, is of Charlotte Harbor with Sanibel and Boca Grande on there. Um, so this is a topic that matters a lot to me. And when I when I talk to originators, mortgage originators in Florida, um, long before Ian, I, I hear the topic of insurance come up as maybe the most, the hardest thing that's a bridge to homeownership in Florida right now. Even before interest rates shot up, the impact of affordability on housing from insurance was a major concern by originators and a lot of loans get blown up by insurance. So before we jump into natural disasters, Ryan, let's talk about the other stressors. Why is Florida a hard market to insure? So, you know, the, the end of the day, um, Florida is responsible for only 8% of the claims in the U S However, 97% of insurance-related litigation happens in the state of Florida. This causes a lot of problems. And some of it actually has to do with the fact that there are a lot of hurricanes. So uh, people need to have their houses fixed really quick when something comes in and damages them uh, in you know, a, a large concentration, right? So you don't have just a home where a tree fell over. You have hundreds, thousands of homes that are now damaged. And there's only so many claims administrators that can send claims folks out to, to fix things. So what did the state of Florida do? They decided that they would do something called assignment of benefits, AOB. Um, this allows you to basically uh, engage with a contractor um, and then from there, that contractor then has the rights to fix the house and then bill back the insurance company without basically having a, a claims representative come out and, you know, bid it out. So what, what happens with this, right? Uh, you have a bunch of uh, unscrupulous contractors that come out. They say, yeah, we're going to fix it. Uh, here, sign right here. We'll be your, your AOB provider. Uh, we'll fix your roof and we'll bill the insurance company. 
Fantastic. John Smith signs on the dotted line. Let's get to work. Let's get going next week. Uh, that contractor disappears, but still bills the insurance company. Uh, the insurance company pays out. Uh, John Smith goes, hey, contractor X never showed up. Uh, I still want my house fixed. And the insurance company then has to go and uh, hunt down that contractor and then sue them. The other reality uh, is uh, contractor X comes out. They do the work. Ah, but now I know I have a really soft target. I'm going to charge 5X the normal uh, going rate to fix your roof, and I'm going to bill back the insurance company. And what happens again? We get lawyers involved. We have to go to court. We have to sue people, and ultimately drives up the cost of the insurance uh, exponentially. Uh, and all of this is predicated on a lot of AOB-related issues. And then once you layer in a lot of storms that could do severe damage in rapid succession now we got a lot of aob claims uh going on with a lot of unscrupulous contractors i'm sure as soon as they saw ian coming in and it was going to land in the gulf you just see truckloads of people on the expressway headed south going yep there's a buck to be made here and i'm just going to rob people blind and that's what ends up happening so ryan is this a reason why parts of panama city florida after four years after Hurricane Michael, still look like a war zone. Yeah, potentially. Um, you have a lot of you have a lot of problems and conflicts that arise out of this, um, and there's not a great solution. Uh, how you know how do we fix this? We got to get people back up and running quickly, but we also can't have slimy contractors just coming out of the woodwork to to rob people blind. So, you know, where where do we go from here? Um, it's a really, really, really challenging and touchy situation, both uh, from the insurer's point of view, as well as the politicians that are the ones that have constituents that are pissed when their house isn't getting fixed in time. So it's tough. Well, is assignment of benefits a a Florida concept or is that something, is that a, a policy or like a, a regulatory expectation in the other 49 states or, or 50 states if we include puerto rico since we're talking about hurricanes now yeah i believe there's other geographies that do allow for aob but this is one of the ones where you you frequently see like substantial challenges uh associated with it um you know it, it it but it sounds like something that was like it was probably like state initiated at some point like this would be like a like something that would be a benefit to actually like attracting like the contractors and like the, the, the folks necessary to rebuild after a hurricane, but has led to unintended consequences. Yeah. I think no good deed goes unpunished is probably the best way to describe this situation. Um, I'm sure it was probably after, you know, one of the larger hurricanes uh, people just had had enough and how do we attract enough folks to come down here to rebuild quickly. Um, and as a result, you know, the, the, the bogus people coming out of the woodwork will, will form, uh, you know, and, and go down and take advantage of unsuspecting victims. I mean, it is, it's just the nature of, of the beast. 
So uh, NPR reported that like this is a man-made crisis. I think they're pointing at like a lot of the, the litigation, and I had no idea the the percentage was. Did you say ninety six or ninety seven percent of national ninety seven percent? Like they, I don't NPR didn't even report that metric, but they were pointing at the the idea that this is a man-made crisis from an insurance perspective, nothing to do with hurricanes. So we know the hurricanes kind of compound it and have something something to do there. So like, is there a how how's the insurance? Like we know that carriers are exiting Florida and there's six carriers that have declared insolvency in, in Florida. So like, how is this a, an issue where we don't have regulators or politicians that are looking to make change to make Florida a market that's insurable? Um, I think, I think it's coming. Uh, this is going to okay. force the hand. Uh, the law of supply and demand reigns true. And at the end of the day, when you really think about insurance outside of like, let's call it the state farms or the Berkshire Hathaways of the world, there's four reinsurance companies that hold the bag for like all the policies in the world. Like if one of these companies, Lloyd's of London, Score, Swiss Re, Munich Re, Markel, those companies go out of, out of business, it's because there has been a black swan nuclear event, right? Like the, it's global warfare uh, for somebody to go out of business. But when all of them collectively say, we are not backing policy issuance anymore for com- insurance company X, th- these folks have, have nowhere to go. They There is no more insurance company without insurance, reinsurance collateral backing the the policy you, you can't do it. it it's it, it's impossible so you know i've heard from some of the the quants at uh desco and they say that florida it will not be profitable uh until we get to another uh 30 to 50 percent rate hike from where we are today and when you combine that with the fact that there's also, no more insurance companies available to write policies. What happens? You see, you see rates go through the roof that people can't afford anymore. So I have a mortgage, but you know, when I layer in all the other fees associated with owning this house, not worth it anymore. You'll also have massive headaches from a mortgage servicing end, and I think the capital markets as a whole might look very poorly on this. So. If mortgage servicers are having a problem with insurance and you have more disasters and nobody pays back the debt, this becomes a risky loan to buy and to move, you know, buy and sell. So what happens? Mortgage mortgage providers just they they walk. They say we're not we're not going to offer mortgages on these properties anymore. And then what happens? People will drop the price of their property very quickly in order to exit the market as fast as possible. Uh, in order to not lose their shirt, um, there is there is a pretty nasty potential direction that comes out of insurance, and it's always the weird things that come out of left field that ultimately are weird drivers of uh, you know depression in certain markets. And I see this as being something that could potentially drive the value of real estate in the state of Florida down very quickly. The Insurance Information Institute reports that Florida already has the highest premiums in the country, and that those premiums have been growing at 33% a year. 
and compared to the national average. So our, uh, the typical American increase is is nine percent, which so are reinsurers catching the the benefit of those premium increases, or that, that's you are you pointing out that's still not enough to to influence the profitability of insuring in the state of Florida. That that is just premium inflation increases. That is not rate increase. So your nine percent year over year. We can attribute that to the fact that the cost to rebuild your home is generally anywhere between 60 to 70% of the actual dollar value of your premium. So when the cost of lumber, wages rise, the cost to rebuild your house in the event of a total loss, okay, now your insurance policy also is going to follow the exact same path. So if we saw a 20% rise in replacement cost of a property and it's you know, uh, 70% of the total cost of a, a premium. That means your insurance premium goes up 14% without changing anything. I'm saying that that in conjunction with rate hike, now rate hike means getting to profitability by changing uh, some of the factors inside the actuarial tables in order to make it profitable. So we're looking at broad uh, convergence of problems. You have inflation, cost to rebuild, really expensive. You have rate increase, very expensive. Where do you go from here? I I just don't know. We we stopped writing Florida premium, I think, in, in May of this year, and we are trying to navigate the waters uh, very judiciously, but it is it is a really, really, really hard nut to crack. Let's go a little deeper on on inflation. So t- tell us about the inflation impacts on on premiums and insurability. Yeah, the um, you know the the cost of lumber we've seen you know gone more or less uh, parabolic, uh, and and now have come back down. Yeah, yep. um, C- came back down from those crazy highs though. But during that time, we we saw immense challenges where we had made recommendations to some folks that were in ground up development to switch from uh, frame construction to metal construction because the ROI on the insurance uh, had a three-year payback and they were going to hold the asset for seven to 10 years um, because the insurance cost goes down so much when you go to uh, you know metal studs. Uh, the fire suppressive qualities of metal studs are really good and the cost of lumber was through the roof. So made a ton of sense. Um, it, you know, inflation's just going to be fairly nasty until it gets under control. But, uh, you know, we anticipate premiums going up anywhere between five and 7%, typically on a year over year basis. Our book as a whole is up, I think, 16 and a third percent year over year right now. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that, and this is across the entire U.S., it has to do with the fact that the cost to rebuild has just gotten really expensive. And I, the only thing you can point to is the fact that oil is more expensive, the cost of the gas was more expensive, the materials were more expensive, the labor is more expensive. And until that gets under control, it is going to be a more expensive insurance policy as a result. You think about like, neighborhoods that are undergoing gentrification or fast home price appreciation. You hear about like folks that have been in the neighborhood for a long time, get kind of priced out by, by increases in taxes. And now now we're pointing at rapidly rising insurance costs that put further pressure on overall homeownership expense. Are there proactive measures that you mentioned mortgage services earlier? Are there 
proactive measures that servicers are taking to ensure they're not looking at outsized default or foreclosure risk, not due to the traditional measures of death, disease, and divorce, but um, insurance and, and inflation and home price appreciation that that paralyzes homeowners. Um, I think the worst thing that happens here is you have a bunch of folks that say, you know what, I'm not going to pay my insurance bill. And they don't realize that that mortgage servicer is going to put a lender-placed insurance product on behalf of the lender for the the owner that's not paying. Well, what is the results of that? A policy that is probably four or five times the price of what you're paying right now, you're responsible for paying that. If not, we have the right to foreclose because this is part of your loan covenants and the docs of your mortgage. And then what happens? Uh, you couldn't afford it in the first place, and now you got a policy that's four or five times that amount, uh, you know, sitting waiting for you uh, when you default after thirty days. Um, it it it's yeah, it's a problem. I I think everybody's expectation is a third of their you know income goes to housing. Well, you might have thought a third of your income was going to cover your your bills, and now all of a sudden you're finding out you have these external ex- factors that you didn't plan for that are driving you into 40 or 50% and it becomes an unsustainable uh, issue uh, for, for most folks. Additionally, servicers and homeowners alike are also impacted when insurers go insolvent or, or leave the state. What options are servicers or homeowners left with when the insurer that they had originally placed their policy with chooses to no longer insure in the state of Florida or another state that's impacted by natural disasters? Florida has their own state-backed insurance carrier, right? So their option then is to go with the subsidized product uh, offered by the state of Florida. Now, here's the challenge. They went from saying, we will give you 100% uh, replacement cost for your property in the event of a, a, a catastrophic event to now, I believe the latest numbers were we will pay 45% uh, of the value. And oh, by the way, um, we're about six weeks out and every house needs an inspection uh, in order for us to bind premium. And if there's an issue guess what? You're going to have to get back in the queue again, get it fixed, and then call us and we'll re-inspect it before we do policy issuance. We could be sitting at 18 weeks before you actually have bound premium. Again, this, this drills back into, if I'm a mortgage servicer, do I want this headache? There's too much capital cost for a thin margin business when they're charging 25 bips on a, on mortgage servicing to deal with admin headaches related to insurance to say, I just don't want to be in this market anymore. It's not worth my time. Hey folks, this is Melissa Smith, Managing Editor of Content Solutions here at Housing Wire, hopping in with a quick content recommendation. Challenges surrounding servicing in the event of natural disasters have popped up a few times in this episode. If that resonates with you, go check out a white paper we recently published with ServiceLink titled, Servicers, Are You Ready for Hurricane Season? 
This timely white paper outlines the current challenges for servicers and investors managing properties in a portfolio, including the threat of increased natural disasters and how field service professionals can protect assets while advising mortgage servicers on the ground. Check out our show notes for the link to download this white paper. So Ryan, earlier you mentioned that one of the components of assignment of benefits, the AOB topic we talked about was that an insurer inspection was not not required before the work began and like the benefit was assigned back. But the Florida's own state-backed insurance carrier doesn't or requires inspection, even though kind of the broader market does not. Uh, yeah, that's correct. And and most of the time inside the state of Florida, you're going to require, you know, at least the the companies like American Integrity, folks that have been there for a long time who have run profitable businesses, they want you to have a home that's no more than five years old, a roof that's no more than five years old. They want a four-point inspection. They got. They want WinMIT. They want all these things done before they are willing to say, "Yep, you are good to be insured." And that that is fine, but. The, the broad grouping of homes in the state of Florida doesn't fall in the, you know, 2017 and newer category. That That's just not the reality. Um, so, I, you know, I, I worry that the state of Florida is putting themselves in uh, undue financial distress uh, position by insuring homes. Um, you know, at what point, you know, is the Ponzi scheme going to, going to stop uh and who's going to be left holding the bag here um that the, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that i could point a finger at that uh that give me pause and i this is coming from somebody that has lived in the state of florida uh i i was part of a, a real estate investment organization in South Florida, I I would love to invest in a Florida property, and I can't bring myself to do so. And it has everything to do with the insurance, and nothing to do with, uh, you know, the fact that we we may have some uh, sea level rise challenges in the next thirty years, and some other things. It it, it is totally predicated on insurance issues. Man, you're speaking preaching to the choir here. I, mean, I grew up in Vero Beach, Florida. My wife's family lives in Sarasota. Every living family member I have is in the state of Florida. Um, I live in Texas now, but, uh, there's, you know, there's a strong possibility we live there one day and it's, it's tough to think about what the real estate market's gonna, gonna look like at that time. You mentioned that the state backed insurer has a, um, a new limit of 45% of value on that 45% of value. I think that's what it is. Is that, uh, are you, is that structure or like is including like property value? Uh, so that's going to be a replacement cost. Replacement cost. Um, okay. Yeah, I think I think the li- liability is all going to be the same, but yeah, if there's if there's a a, a large issue, um, you know, you're going to end up with with you know basically government subsidized insurance that won't potentially cover the entire uh, the entire structure. So, I, I know you mentioned earlier that OB has decided not to to um I was going to say lend in. I'm so used to talking to mortgage folks, but not to not to insure in the in the state of Florida. What are some of the, did I get that right? Yeah, we do not at least for our products that we um we manage, 
uh, or you know, program administration or MGA, we do not write in the state of Florida right now. So was that was that decision like influenced by carriers or reinsurers that you work with? Like, how did that decision come to fruition? So ultimately, you know, we've seen, um, you know, we've seen the uh, financial markets and the uh, impact. Uh, that loss ratios have had on valuations and we're a venture back company. So, you know, we are doing the best job we can to uh, run a profitable business. And some of the insure techs that have come before us have been unable to achieve uh, that level of profitability through their losses and their claims. Um, and we decided to make a strategic move to, um, you know, eliminate some of that undue stress as it relates to having, uh, you know, a high loss ratio in our insurance book, uh, in an effort to work towards uh, profitability, and that that was, you know, that it, it may not be forever. Um, there might be a way for us to write profitable business, and there might be um, an opportunity for us to offer an insurance product in Florida. We just don't. We can't put our finger on pricing quite yet. And we don't understand the pulse of the market and some of the drivers that are going to make us or allow us to feel comfortable uh, writing profitable business there. So it, it just, it, it was not part of our, the fabric of our business uh, where it is today. I want to draw on some of that experience you gained as a real estate investor in in South Florida. And the state of Florida has seen some of the fastest home price appreciation in the country during the the, the COVID pandemic of folks move, leaving, leaving New York and moving to Florida, I think was one of the biggest drivers. Also saw massive rent growth with the the area that Ian impacted the most. So that Fort Myers area has consistently been one of the fastest rent growth markets in the country, which is attractive to, to investors and SFR and, and commercial categories. So Ryan, how do you think this hurricane and the overall issue that we're putting a spotlight on of in, the insurability of property in the state of Florida impacts investor appetite? And, um, and I'd love to kind of carry that into home prices and cap rates on the CRE side? Um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think people are going to shy away from it quite yet in the broader commercial category, um, maybe even larger multifamily habitational risk. Um, some of these isolated assets, folks that uh, invest in scattered site, um, you know, they're potentially diversified enough where they might feel comfortable, uh, at least on the institutional side. Um, onesie, twosie hobbyist investors are probably uh, broadly a, a little more concerned um, because they don't have diversification of, let's call it five or 10,000 single family homes scattered across the US. And if one market's not really working out, they can just plan their exit accordingly. Uh, and that's part of their overall thesis. Um, you know, I I think having come into uh, the real estate investing climate um, right out of the 08 crisis in retail where I was buying non-performing debt uh, and we were buying, you know, properties at seven cents on the dollar and hopefully doing a, you know, a friendly foreclosure and then selling them for 17 cents on the dollar, um, I, I think there's still a 
there's always an opportunity for deals. Um, no matter the the climate, I think there's going to be some kind of investment activity going on, whether it's the the standard buy and sell transaction, off market deals, uh, stuff bought out of receivership, things that you know you're buying debt instead of buying the asset. That will still occur. Um, the the investing climate as a whole, though, um, you know, I, I'm I'm really looking to the capital markets to to really point a finger at what is what's going to happen uh, over the course of the next you know 24 months. Cap rate decompression, uh, things that are historically you know sitting at three and a half four caps in South Florida, uh, you know. It, do things do do all these like layered layered issues kind of pile on each other, force uh, cap rates to kind of come up, come apart, and ultimately you, you start seeing some price depreciation as a result. Um, I think that still remains to be seen, but uh, I, if I were a, a betting man, um, I would say that there is probably a price correction coming. You're starting to see uh, rents hit their peak uh, broadly across. Uh, a bunch of different MSAs. New York is at its peak. Chicago, uh, South Florida. Um, there's nowhere else to go up from here until you start seeing some more salary inflation. And I don't know how much more um, corporate America can stomach much more salary inflation. So um, I- I'm patiently sitting on the sidelines to to see how things uh, shake out over the next 12 to 18 months. So. Mortgage originators, real estate brokerages don't have the luxury of of sitting on the sideline. the the uh, The transactions must go on. So, if you're to give guidance to the the loan originator, the the real estate agent, or or broker owner, what should they understand about the the current market for homeowners and flood insurance in Florida, and how it impacts the the homes that they're selling and the the mortgages that they are closing? Um, kind of with the with an angle of like housing professionals have to give guidance to homeowners every day, and uh, how do they how do they stomach or know what to anticipate when it comes to the pricing in terms of the policies that they have to sign? Yeah, so if I was you know a a loan originator, um, you know I think their their job is to. Uh, at the end of the day, figure out a way to to get the loan closed and ultimately find a a good borrower. Um, I think what I would do in in times that are a little bit more challenging is making sure, at least on my side, if I was in the sales world, qualifying those owners to make sure that they can uh, get everything closed and focus on on the high quality prospects and maybe do a little, a little less uh, spray and pray, and start being really methodical and laser focused on knowing the ones that are actually going to get deals closed. I think if you spread yourself too thin, you're going to be, uh, you're going to end up empty-handed rather than you know maybe uh, weathering the storm for a little while while this while this all shakes out. I mean, essentially pre-qualifying with an understanding of what the insurance cost is going to look like in that scenario and, and, and helping homeowners understand that the cost of their their premiums very much might be going up at a significant percentage each year. And they should either be uh, you know, like expecting that or expecting the, the income growth. But I think you pointed a very va- valid point that um, uh, salary inflation 
maybe stretching the limits of some corporate P&Ls. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to look at is some of those non, uh, non-conventional insurance requirements that might pop up. Um, flood zones are generally not, uh, not shrinking. So I, you know, we, we've tried at least internally here to open up Pandora's box a little bit and show people that, uh, if they're in pursuit of a property, um, property a versus property B, if I'm in an, you know, an X zone and X five shaded is let's call it a few feet away from my property and X five shaded is kind of the, the, um, dividing line of me needing a, a flood policy or not. I would be very cautious that maybe if I don't have one now, but in the next 36 months, if that floodplain changes at all, I might be on the hook for a very expensive additional policy that I have to buy. Um, and we, at least with our, you know, uh, our buyers, we try and give them both on the institutional as well as the hobbyist side an opportunity to, we have a risk map that is open source that people can use that has all the FEMA data built into it. They can type in their address and look at their risks. Um, I want people to reduce their pursuit costs and time. Um, And again, this goes back into being laser focused on getting deals closed. Um, You know, if there are things that uh, could be red flags in the next year or two, uh, better to identify them up front and early. Um, and oftentimes people will really appreciate you looking out for their best interest and, you know, having another tool in their, their toolkit, uh, some things for them to watch out for. Ultimately, people love the advocacy and I, I, I wish it happened more often inside our space. The comment on flood zones not shrinking kind of got my, my head like thinking about like some of the challenges that lenders have, like with, with fair lending requirements, like lenders can't like pick their markets that surgically because of fair lending requirements, which are, are but need, need to be there. It's a very real reason we have fair lending regulation in the United States with flood zones, not shrinking and certain markets being much more susceptible to intense natural disaster, or global warming or, or flood risk. Um, I, I wonder if any lenders kind of, you know, land in tricky waters of like, Hey, like this is not a, this is not a good zip code to, to lend in or service in because of uh natural disaster risk, which, you know, creates a, um, a fair lending, like uh regulatory hurdle. I, and my mind kind of just got spinning on that one. I haven't really talked to many people about that. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing, Florida, I, I was listening to uh, Trevor Burgess who runs Neptune flood uh, on, I believe it was, Fox Business or CNBC, um, he said that only 15% of homes in the state of Florida have a flood insurance policy. I, I wonder if also these lenders start getting a little more aggressive on, on that. But, you know, to, to your point, if I could avoid uh, potentially markets that might be, uh, I would say, more or less insolvent once you start layering all the, the homeownership costs on top of each other, you know, could you, could you weather the storm better? Um, that's, that's probably a, a, a fair thing to, to look at of, Hey, if I, you know, if I start looking at all the loans that I could be originating and I immediately, you know, go into the FEMA maps or our map and see whether or not 
you know, these folks are going to need additional insurance. If I avoid, I hate to say avoid some of those loans, but maybe focus more on the ones that are in better locations, will, will I be able to uh, potentially close more deals? Uh, again, remains to be seen, but it might be something folks might start looking at uh, internally. So we talked about insurers um, going insolvent or, or leaving the state of Florida because of risk. Do, do insurers, are they tied to doing business in a full state? Like in like tying this conversation to to Hurricane Ian, which did the most damage in, in Lee County, I believe it's Lee County where Fort Myers is located. Are there insurers who just may choose not to say like, hey, Lee County, Tampa Bay area, Dade County, wherever, like Panama City, like these are just markets we don't want to do business in. But hey, we're still going to insure in Orlando and Jacksonville and Tallahassee. Like, is that a is that a possibility, a choice, or is that are you kind of like tied to the statewide business? Nope, you are not tied to statewide business. You can pick and choose your counties as you see fit. I don't like Hillsborough County, or I don't like you know uh, Broward. Okay, you don't have to be there. Um, there are certain states, though, like North Carolina, where in the event that there is a, a weather event um, and you don't uh, insure in specific locations, you may have to pay into a larger pool of money um, in order to operate in that state. If you are not, if you are adversely selecting outside of specific locations, like say that want to do the Outer Banks, uh, and a hurricane came through, there there is also. Uh, fees sometimes associated with it, but sometimes the juices were worth the squeeze in those particular situations. So to to wrap up this conversation, Ryan, and kind of let's say you have a a platform for advocacy. What, what conditions would need to change in the state of Florida for the insurance market to be substantially healthier, or for for you to choose to even go back and do more meaningful business in in that state? Whether this is legislative, economic, like what has to change for Florida to be healthy, a healthy market to insure in? A state appointed or approved AOB contractors, whether that's, I need to submit fingerprints and just pay a licensing fee in order to do that, in order to reduce the uh, unscrupulous folks uh, might be a great place to start. Um you know, maybe changing uh, zoning um, in certain locations. Um, there, I think there's there's a ton of different things that they need to start at least experimenting on. I hear a lot of talk out of our uh, politicians in Florida, but no action or no no real path forward. And if if they have no idea where to go, at least pick a direction. And if it doesn't work out, at least, you know, that particular direction didn't work out. But I'd like to see some action on behalf of the folks that control uh, uh, the legislature uh, in order to start improving some of the things that are going on uh, as it relates to insurance. Otherwise, they're going to they're gonna have no constituent base to go and get voted back into because they will have all have left the state. So, uh, Florida politicians, if you're listening, time to time to get cranking on at least something. 
Yeah, well, I hope they're listening. And uh, at HW Media, we're going to do our best to draw attention to the the issues at a national and state level that impact the housing market. We're also going to do our best to help the folks that are impacted by the storm. And the in the show notes, um, we're going to drop a link to a uh, a fundraiser that we're doing and in support of the Florida Association of Realtors relief effort. We're selling some some t shirts and and sweatshirts that are all the proceeds are going directly to to relief funds. So. Uh, Politicians, listen up. Uh, listen to what Ryan has to say, and um, buy a uh, buy a hurricane relief T shirt so we can send some money your way. Ryan, I uh, appreciate you joining us on the kind of this special edition podcast, and hopefully the knowledge that that you bring as an insurance professional and and prop tech leader uh, brings some awareness to the housing professionals that kind of live and breathe with the the impact and reper- repercussions of Florida's unhealthy insurance market every single day. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Clayton. I appreciate it. I hope this was uh, helpful to the folks that are listening. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you. 